the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Oh, Tyson, it's a rainy Tuesday here in St. Louis. I, I had to do my exercise this morning on the treadmill because it's so gross and muggy out. We got that hurricane coming up from Florida. Yeah, it was really muggy. I wanted to sit outside last night and we did for a little bit. It was just muggy and humid and awful and it's been hot lately, but it this weekend is going to be great. The, the weather's going to be nice and cool. It's going to be awesome. Well, I took a mental health day yesterday. I did a little bit of work, but I did it all around the pool all day. So I, I feel recharged and ready for today. Nice. I look forward to in a, in a few weeks having that pool and be able to do the same thing. So I'm excited about it. Well, you want to go ahead and introduce our guest? Yeah. So our guest today is Jan Newman, and she is a coach for lawyers and executives, which I found I find fascinating. I think it's a, an amazing industry. I think it's really, really cool. And um, as you know, I've used Jason Selk in the past. You know, he's a a coach, I'd say, for executives, not just lawyers. And so I, I think, Jan, what you all do is really fascinating. I think it's really helpful as well. But do you want to talk a little bit about your business and, and, and how you got into this? Sure, yes. Um, so I was actually a lawyer for seven years. Um, went from regional law firm to big law. I think it's all caps in quotes. And, you know, I think I was fortunate that my career I actually enjoyed my last position in, in big law better than any of my other ones. So I was at a firm that I really liked, but I, I just never, it never connected with me. I loved the client work as far as just you know, relating to clients and all of that, but it just never it did it for me. <laughs> so, so I had always been interested in human behavior and neuroscience and psychology. And so I ended up leaving to get a PhD. And so I think actually, you know, it was interesting. I was pursuing my PhD. I was, you know, just doing my stuff. And I had actually had an attorney contact me to see, hey, you have a law degree. You've been in big law. And now you know something about, you know, psychology and behavior. Do you do coaching? And I was like, well, I've never really thought about that. But that seems like a good idea. I wish I could have found a coach that knew something about being a lawyer when I was a lawyer. So I actually kind of got into it by a client's suggestion. And then really, you know, I think it's my favorite population to work with because 
it's another version of me. So I get it. And I can remember what it was like to not have anybody to get it, you know, when you're trying to explain what it's like to practice law. And someone says, oh, you know, I think your job's just taking too much of your time. You should probably quit. And then exactly how am I going to pay you, coach or <laughs> whoever? So, um, so, yeah, that's how I got started. And I still practice psychology, don't practice law, but I'm licensed. But yeah, my business is, is a blend of that. But most of my clients are lawyers or healthcare executives. That's awesome. You know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and I guess we can call you Dr. Jan because you have a PhD. Yeah. You're not just a JD doctor like Tyson. No. Like <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'll call you guys doctor. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a conversation online the other day with a friend of mine about how lawyers a lot of times don't feel like they know their purpose or, or you know, what, mm-hmm. what they're even doing or their motivation. And I think a lot of that stems from people going to law school without even really knowing why as a, as a reformed lawyer and someone who went to law school, can you talk about that, about sort of at that, at that early stage when you're even in law school or thinking about going to law school about maybe some of the mindset mistakes that people make? Yeah, you're, you're so right, Jim. I, I, when I think about when I work with lawyers, it's this group of extremely multi-passionate competent people that could do just about anything except for probably be a math professor. (laughs) I think most of us, a lot of us were like avoiding math, but there's something about, you know, trying to make one career capture all of these interests and things. And like law just sounds so broad that it could handle all of that. But I think the expectations are, you you can't meet those expectations because a lot of us are doing it as a default of, I don't know what to do next. And we, we haven't really, you know, I, I mean, a lot of my friends from law school had done some stuff in law, like be a runner or things like that. But otherwise, none of us had actually ever worked in a law firm and seen what it's like and talked to lawyers. So I think it's like you're going into it, expecting it to be, you know, to check a box of this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Not many professions can live up to that, but there's not been a lot of, you know, when people are going into it, I think, and I think it also depends on, are you going into it straight from undergrad or are you going into it later? But in general, I think if you're going straight from undergrad, we don't really have a sense of what it's like because there's just no way to tell you one. And and then law school is much different from the practice of law. So that's a whole other conversation itself. Um, Some people really like law school and hate practice and vice versa. So I think part of it is just trying to shove so much into one profession to meet that, and it can't. So, Jan, the other day we were having a conversation in the in the guild about mindset and like having that positive mindset and you know building confidence and everything. And one of the things you talk about is mindset and skill set and you know focusing on those to create a life and work you deserve. So, will you talk a little bit about mindset and building that mindset? Yes. I think with a lot of, and especially with a lot of attorneys, I mean, we're taught that, you know, reason and thought and cognition are more important than anything else and that we can think our way through everything. But sometimes that actual thinking can be a barrier. I like to talk to clients a lot because a lot of lawyers actually deal and suffer from a lack of confidence. And that's something that really plagues them. And they don't talk about it openly. They do a lot to actually mask that. But a great deal of it is really, to me, the mindset shift is being able to actually not fight these negative thoughts, but actually acknowledge that we all have kind of those stories and thoughts that are telling us you're not good enough, you're going to lose this motion, 
all that stuff's happening and acknowledging that. And then it's, you know, thinking about what type of action you want to pivot to, whether that be, you know, one of my clients, I'm going to try to say this, so I, if he hears this, he won't be offended, but, you know, would get so angry in partnership meetings that he could not be in there without turning red and everybody knowing. So we, we came up with like when he was getting ready to go in these meetings and he's having the thoughts instead of just fuming, he would then pivot to an action, which was actually before the meeting, he would take the stairs instead of the elevator. You know, he'd do like go to his office and do 25 push ups. So he's going into the, into the meeting feeling calm instead of, you know, feeling so stressed. And then when we're in there, you know, I was like, let's think about something that's relaxing to you that you can do as a, a mindfulness exercise. And that really helped him to just get through the meeting. So that might be one form of action, but the other form of action could be just really moving from this mindset of I'll wait till I feel confident enough until I'm going to go ahead and act with certainty. Cause the meaning of confidence is to be certain is one of the meanings. And so it's just shifting it to act with certainty, even when you don't feel or think that you're certain, you just kind of just do it Nike swoosh. And, and if you, and if you, if you think about it in your life, anything that you're trying for the first time, you feel much better when you're in the middle of it than you did before you do it. So you've got to start, you have to start acting and doing something. So I think that a lot of the mindset shift really is not trying to feel like it, not, tr- not waiting until you feel good enough or certain enough to act, but getting a game plan and going ahead and acting, acknowledging you're going to have some thoughts that you're not good enough and that kind of thing. And if you've prepared, that should carry over. But I think a lot of lawyers are like, well, I should feel you know, confident in doing this. I should feel better. And they don't. It's like now I'm bad. Well, no, you're a human. It's more, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but it's like, I guess, fake it, you know, basically start making it. <laughs> Just kind of go ahead and start acting and the confidence will follow. It doesn't come before. I think that's such a great point, Jan. Talk to us a little bit more there about, about <laughs> being purposeful and mindful versus being reactive. Because I think a lot of lawyers spend a lot of time mm-hmm. in reactive mode, especially those involved in litigation where you're always one side's up, one side's down, and you're sort of fighting back and forth. I really like that example that you said about the guy doing his push-ups. Talk a little bit about sort, <laughs> yeah. of that, sort of that making a decision before you get into the problem, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, uh, one of the places I start a lot with lawyers and you know, even I work with some physicians and even though they know a lot about neuroscience, they have to have a reminder of this, but just remembering that you know, what we call emotion is really physiological arousal that's typically geared towards safety and survival. And you can't turn it off and you can't outthink it. And so when, when someone, you know, if I'm in a litigation situation and someone is being a jerk, that's going to be interpreted by my brain as a threat. And I'm going to start to see some type of sign of sympathetic nervous system arousal, like heart rate increase, flushed face, breathing increase, tension. And that's a sign that my body is now reacting. And I have to deal with that. If that gets too intense, I'm compromised because what then follows is confused thinking, tunnel vision, literally, and cognitively, you focus on the problem and you can't see 
you know, anything else. And so, you know, for that client in particular, we had to deal with that because he could not really take in other input. So when he was in those meetings, if there was a partner who he really liked, who was making a good point, he could only focus on, you know, the, the, the negatives. So I think it's, it's first recognizing that you have to address how your body is reacting and you're not going to be able to think your way out of it and be like, Oh yeah, Jan, you need to just ignore him. It's going to be fine. It's more like, okay, this is stress. I'm feeling stressed. I've got to deal with that. It's not getting better. So I'm going to have to stand up, walk around. Maybe before that meeting, I could front load my, you know, emotion regulation by doing some exercise. You know, I do push-ups all the time between clients. I learned that from actually working with teenage boys. So, <laughs> so that was something they would, would tell me like, you can do this. Like Dr. Newman, if you can get to do 25 push-ups, you can do that and feel better. And I was like, oh man, you're right. I just got to get to do 25 push-ups, but I can, if I can do that, I'll feel better. But I think it's just dealing with the biology. And most of my clients, when we talk about that, that makes them feel so much better then when, you know, I think when we talk about emotion, they're thinking, I'm going to start talking about touchy feely, you know, mumbo jumbo about, you know, tell me how you really feel. And I'm like, tell me like where your brain is. I'm not, I'm talking about like arousal for athletes, for, you know, military professionals. This is the same thing that they do. And kind of speaking to that, when you asked about kind of thinking ahead, if you think about it in the military, like I worked with a group of snipers when I was doing my psychology training. And they plan for this, this, this state of fight or flight arousal that they can then pivot and do you know, deep breathing, whatever, because they can't have dysregulated breathing and shoot a mile away. If they do that, they are going to likely miss, give away their position. They could endanger the entire mission. So they have to, as a team, be able to identify when they're off. And they do that actually by... I mean, they don't have this for lawyers, but they wear bio harnesses that actually have gauges on them that tell them their heart rate is too high or whatever, which we wish we had that, but we don't. But that is why they then have protocols. They have overlearned procedures and protocols so that when they are in a fight or flight or very tense situation, they can then pivot to that without a lot of thought because they've already thought about it. So I think for lawyers, that would be recognizing that you are not above the law of nature, so to speak, from neurobiology that you do get stressed and you do get this threat reaction. And if you can pause, take a breath, you know, potentially plan ahead and you've prepared, all you've got to do is really get that emotion regulation down. And then you can pivot to, you know, that prefrontal cortex that's going to help you where you've prepared for your case. But I've seen that a lot with lawyers where you know, I've been involved in mediation and saw like a lawyer insult another lawyer. And this, this other lawyer is just so focused on the insult. And I'm like, this guy's just messing with you. He is, he doesn't really have an argument. This is just, let me poke the bear until the bear loses it. You know? So I think it's really remembering that you really want to go from reacting to responding from to, to whatever that stimulus is. If it's a jerk partner, if it's a judge, if it's whatever that is making you you know, upset, uh, reactive, then you've got to be able to pivot to that other side, which is responding with that prefrontal cortex part of your brain. 
That's such good advice. And Jen, what you can't tell is I'm wearing a bio harness right now. You That's just, so cool. Yeah, you just can't see it. That's, right. <laughs> That's our new product for lawyers, bio harnesses for lawyers. <laughs> right. Right suit. Um, They're really cool looking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's really interesting. So we, you know, we sent you this, we send this questionnaire to our guests before the, the podcast and you use a phrase that really is, I'm, I'm stuck on it. Work life integration, right? <laughs> I don't know what to call it, but it balance is not it. <laughs> yeah, balance is not it. So, but it, it's work life integration and burnout issues, right? So mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the burnout part of it though. Okay. Because I just, I was fascinated by the use of integration and work life. I, I, Cause I think it is more of an integration as opposed to a balance. That's, that's part mm-hmm. of it. But with burnout and then the secondary trauma dealing with difficult situations. <laughs> Will you talk about that part of it and deal actually having to deal with that? Cause that's something that we, we talk about on a daily basis. Um, will you talk about dealing with that? Yeah. So, you know, really when you think about burnout, what that is is when you are in a state of emotional, physical, psychological, you know, exhaustion that you can't really go on anymore. So it's, you've got stress first and we all deal with that. But then if that state, if the stress maintains like above a level that you can cope with and it just keeps going till there's like this chronic, you know, basically a condition. I mean, you can even have like adrenal fatigue and have, you know, I've, when I was an attorney, one of the partners, we were working on a deal and he just fainted in the middle of like, you know, us doing some document prep to go to New York. And I was like, what is going on? Now I know what was going on. He wasn't sick or anything. They just said he had, has a lot of stress, but that was actually adrenal fatigue. So that's one piece of it. I think then when you are working with people who have trauma and lawyers do that and judges do as well. You know, we work with people who've been victims of something. It can be a victim of a, of a financial crime. It can be a victim of a, of a physical assault. But then when you're on top of that, working with a client who has a lot of trauma and things that, you know, you're taking that on, then that can add it to a, raise it to another level that might be called vicarious trauma or secondary stress. But when you put those things together, it can start to be, I mean, vicarious trauma literally looks like PTSD. It isn't PTSD unless you're a first responder or someone like that, but it looks a lot like that. And it's that combination of burnout, usually with being exposed to people who have had trauma, they're talking about it, you're having to deal with it, learn the facts of it. And that can be impairing, very impairing. Thanks to our sponsor, Smith AI. Smith AI is a superior receptionist service for law firms, trusted by many maximum lawyers, including me. At my immigration practice, the hacking law practice, Smith's friendly U.S.-based receptionists respond to potential clients in English or Spanish, screen and schedule new leads, and even take payment for our consults. The best part is that they don't just handle these conversations by phone. They also have live agents and chatbots capturing leads on our website through their chat widget. They serve as our friendly gatekeepers while my team and I work uninterrupted. We get new clients and we get work done. How awesome is that? If you're in a solo or small firm, I know you'll appreciate this. Plans start at just $70 a month for calls and $100 a month for chats. They even offer a totally free chatbot, so there's no excuse. Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why attorneys like me say Smith AI receptionists are the secret to business growth. Smith AI offers a free trial and maximum lawyer listeners get an extra $100 discount with promo code MAXLAW100, that's M-A-X-L-A-W-1-0-0. 
Sign up and learn more at www.smith.ai. Trust me when I say, don't let another day go by. Try Smith AI. We're speaking with Dr. Jan Newman. She's an executive coach, a psychologist, a speaker, a trainer, a writer, a researcher, and she's a mom. So <laughs> I, I am lucky enough to be married to a lawyer who I actually practice law with. We were immigration lawyers and we practice together. And one thing that the coronavirus has really made apparent for me is that moms still get the short end of the stick. <laughs> and as much as I try to help, talk to us a little bit about your work with mom lawyers. So that, I think that is a, I mean, I think there's, I think fathers are incredibly important and I'm talking to you because I have a wonderful husband who's helping me with my children right now. <laughs> so, so, um, I don't know how he's doing with the dogs. I heard them a little bit ago, but, um, but I think with moms, a lot of it, Jim, is about the expectations that I, th- I think they feel, and I think this is correct, that society puts on moms. So there's this expectation that, you know, if, if we go to, you know, Taekwondo and my husband takes them all the time, then, you know, I feel like I'm going to get more judgment than he would if he's not taking them. And I think a lot of a lot of mom lawyers are dealing with that perception and that judgment from outside, and it feels a lit a little bit like a rock in a hard place. They also get that judgment from family members sometimes who have different views on how they should be parenting and lawyering, and so that can be you know I think all those outside expectations. So a lot of when I'm working with moms, it's really about defining at the front end, and I, I do this a lot with any client that I work with is really defining at the front end what really matters to you, not what should matter to you from society or outside, but what really does matter. So what kind of parent do you really want to be? What kind of husband, wife do you really want to be? That leaving that instead of what society thinks you should do. So a lot of times just clarifying that can help you then set goals and actions that are in line with that. So You're not trying to be, I always tell parents, there's a million ways to be a good enough parent and there's no way to be a perfect one. So you're trying to find actions that, you know, you can do these little bitty things like maybe, you know, taking your kid to practice more than you were or spending time with them in the morning and doing things like that. It's these tiny steps, these tiny actions, not these great big, like I need to quit my job and I can't work and be a mom kind of steps. So Jan, I, I want to talk a little bit more about working, I guess, with you. So let's say if someone was, were to hire you to help them out, what's that process like? Well, typically, you know, it depends on the person. I mean, I work with people who I think are in different places. Like a lot of times with attorneys, it's either lawyers who think they might want to get out of law. So they're not sure if they do or not, or they want a different position in law, like maybe they're big law, they want to go in house, that kind of thing. Some lawyers come to me with already knowing I'm done with this and I want to get out now. I'm terrified. How do we do that? So it looks different depending on where they're at, but typically the first part of it really is identifying what they want because back to Jim's earlier question about how do we end up getting into law school? (laughs) not really thinking, you know, we don't, we don't do it with the end in mind. We don't think about when, you know, when we're 24, what the lifestyle is that we want to lead. And so a lot of what I'm doing at the front end is what kind of lifestyle do you want? What, 
what matters to you. And that's typically in the domains of work relationships and you personally, like your personal health, personal growth, those kinds of things. And looking at that part first. And what's interesting is lawyers that I work with have a really hard time doing that. Like they really they're like, can we just go ahead and work on this mindset stuff? And, and well, it's, it's kind of hard for me to figure out what kind of actions you want to take unless we, unless we've set a compass of what matters to you, because I don't want us to end up like you want to go to, you know, you want to go to Denver and you know, you're like, well, I didn't want to go West. So we end up in like Egypt. I don't want to do that. So can we figure that out? But they hate it. They hate it. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> hey Jim, does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> it's so amazing that she picked Denver and Egypt when I was, <laughs> when I was a senior in college, I thought I was going to be a Jesuit priest. So I moved to Denver and then I eventually left that and I moved back to St. Louis and I married someone from Egypt. So that's awesome. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) That is amazing. But yeah, so people hate that part, but typically it's starting there and then trying to figure out, usually then it's like framing, what are your goals? And then that's where the barriers come up. That's kind of where the mindset stuff comes up of, you know, like, for example, a lawyer that might want to leave big law and go to in-house, you know, I might be working with that person and we've defined the lifestyle and we've got the action. So I want to be somewhere where, you know, there's a cheaper cost of living. I'm closer to my family. We have all these criteria. And then like Cravath says, hey, would you like to come be, you know, a mid-level associate or a junior partner or whatever? Let's say that mythical thing would come out. Then they're like, I'm going to move to New York. Uh, wait a second, that is the opposite. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it's crevasse. So I've got to go because, you know, that would mean I'm really good. And, and it's this whole thing about, you know, then, okay, what's that about? What's that kind of story about to be good enough as a person, you have to be at this prestigious law firm that actually has, there's no way you can meet this other part that we've said, but those kind of, I call those like squirrels, you know, it's like squirrel, here we go. Um, like my dog, you know, when he sees a squirrel, he's kind of just like, okay, let me go that way. But that usually comes up around, you know, after we've defined what matters to you, then it's like being present and being psychologically flexible that when you have these kind of thoughts and stories, you're not good enough. Um, you know, you, you know, you need to be a lawyer because I mean, one of the biggest with lawyers is that, you know, that thought that, you know, sunk cost fallacy of, I put all this time in it. So I need to continue. You know, I've, I've been a lawyer for eight years, so I should be a lawyer for 30 more years. Like that's doesn't make any logical sense, but for a lot of lawyers that comes up as a mindset barrier that we have to then break through. And then the rest of the final phase is really just implementing action. I try to keep action as part of it the whole way through, but then we're taking bigger and bigger steps. But most people find that it, you know, when, you know, they're working with me. I'm, I, I kind of, I, I will tell people I'm action Jackson. I want to get us like moving, even if it's small at the beginning, because that really gives people confidence. Like we were talking about confidence is more about taking action and experiencing yourself doing it and going, okay, I did that. I didn't die. Okay. Now I can take another step and another step and another step. It's not waiting for this big, you know, I think when people talk about leaving law, they're like this calling and there'll be like a light that will shine on and go, you know, here's where you go. And it's, it's not like that. It's, it's experiments. I tell people that like, think more like a scientist than a judge. Scientists publish their bad data and their null findings because they don't, 
want other people to waste their time on that cure for cancer or whatever, they don't feel bad about it. They're still furthering science. So it's more like if you do something and mess up, that's data. That's not bad. That's just data. That wasn't the right thing. So let's re, you know, calibrate and then retool and do again. Okay, now that, that was closer. So we're closer. It's not zero sum game as we often are dealing with in litigation. You win or you lose. Jan, this, like is, baseball. <laughs> Jan, this is all really good stuff. Uh, Tyson and I are not psychologists, but we do do a fair amount of coaching with our group. So our group, just Great. so you know, we have like entrepreneurial lawyers who have a growth mindset for the most part, right? We, we're right. really lucky. We don't have a lot of people in our group who are complainers or bitchers or <laughs> like wanting to get out. It's really people that want to grow and do a good job for their clients and make their firm better and, and bigger. But we do come across this one little subset of people, even within our group, and it's people who will ask for our advice, we'll spend good time with them, and sometimes I feel like I'm just dealing, dealing diamonds left and right, like I'm giving them all these great ideas, Tyson gives them a lot of really good ideas, and they get into this mindset where they just always say to themselves, that won't work, that can't work for me, my case is different, my life is different. What how do you help people who are locked like that unlock themselves if you can? Mm -hmm. I think two things like for you guys, when you're coaching is to know that, you know, you're dealing with your own response of, you know, we have this thing called the writing reflex where we want to tell people what to do, but it's not out of some, you know, I want to tell people what to do because I'm mean. It's I want to tell people what to do because I care and I want to help them. So most lawyers, you guys included, are very motivated by helping others. So it's hard to, to hear those guys talking like that and girls <laughs> talking like that. And so for you guys, knowing that you know, what I'm going to say you should, you know, they should do is also for you is really acknowledging that change is hard and being curious about what is this really about? Because that story serves a purpose. It, it works to you know, keep them where they're at, but what it is also underlies is this truth of human behavior that we would rather be, we would rather avoid discomfort than anything. We would rather avoid discomfort than in some ways be happy. Like if you look at something that could offer you intense joy, but it's going to come through the price of something that will be uncomfortable, most human beings will try to find a way around that. And if they can't, they'll just stop moving. So for you guys just going, oh, this is, this is, this is just a block. This is normal kind of human stuff for them. I think it is acknowledging, okay, that's a thought. That's a story. That's a, my brain's working 24 seven. And that's a thing that it's kind of putting out there. What's the purpose of it? Like I really, you know, I will often talk to clients about that values piece first with what matters to you is this thought that you're having, is it getting you further away or closer to what matters to you? And if they're like, well, you know, I really do want to do that thing, but I can't, and it's not going to work for me. That thought probably isn't that helpful. Okay. All right. Well, what do you think it's for? Let's get curious about that. What is it? What's the function of it? And typically it's trying to keep you, that thought is, is trying to help you be safe. We go back to like that hindbrain that's always trying to keep us safe. That makes sense. But when you can pull yourself away from the thought, so it's more like, instead of like the thoughts right here, I'm kind of putting it down and looking at it, it's not, it's me observing that thought more than me being led and driven by it. But if you, if the research indicates that if you try to tell people to get rid of a thought, 
it actually makes the thought worse. So when you say don't think like that, that actually, that thought suppression actually activates that kind of process and keeps it going because we have a default negativity bias because if you think about it we're not descended from people who go went like oh look it's a saber-toothed tiger or whatever let's just like make peace with it we're descended from people who were nervous and ran and you know freaked out so we have a negativity bias it's more like just acknowledging that instead of locking into it and then pivoting towards some type of action even if it's small and it doesn't have to be the big thing so i think a lot of times it's in helping people break that down. If that one thing feels like too much, can we break it down into a smaller step? Do an experiment. How did that go? Do you want to retool? Do you want to up the intensity? Do you want to lower the intensity? Just do an experiment with it. But the thoughts are really, they're going to be there. So I tell clients often, like, can we just like put that in your messenger bag or your backpack and just take it with you? <laughs> just like while you're, <laughs> while you're doing this speech, can you just take that with you and just acknowledge it's going to be there? Um, and do it anyway. This is fantastic. We're actually, uh, Jim and I are actually messaging back and forth about how great you are. We, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, this is one of my favorite episodes already. So we've been doing this for four years. So this, Oh, that's so nice. You you clearly know what you're talking about. You're you're very good. We do have to wrap things up, unfortunately. Um, That's okay. But before I do, I understand that you do have an offer for the listeners. And so I just yes. want a chance to, to talk about that for a second before. Yes. Yes. So I was going to offer to the first three or three. And I mean, I did, I've done this before and I extended it to five. So we'll just say five people who contact me that I would offer a 45 minute free coaching session. I typically, if I'm doing a consult, it's only 20 minutes. So I, I'm doing a, a, a full session and offering that to your listeners for the first five that contact me. All right. How do they get in touch with you? Website, email? Yeah. yeah. So I will, um, I was going to make sure that you guys had that for the show notes, but my email is Jan at drjanneuman.com, which is pretty straightforward. And that's my website as well. And that would be the best way to contact me. And um, I also thought I might send you guys some resources that could be helpful that a lot of my clients use. So you'd have that books, podcasts, those kinds of things. Not podcasts, never podcasts. Never podcasts, right. TED Talks, TED Talks, there we go. <laughs> I, think you're gonna get, I think she's going to get about 20, 20 people reach out to her at least. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to just do like random things like who's your favorite football team? Um, if you say somebody that's not in the SEC, I'm not listening to you. <laughs> um, you also have jannewmancoaching.com. Um, yes, yes. So, uh, I do want to wrap things up. Uh, I do want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group, get involved there. We also have this little thing called the guild that we're doing. And so if you're interested, go to maximumlawyer.com. Um, and if you don't mind taking just a couple seconds, giving us a five-star review, we would appreciate it. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? So Tyson, my hack of the week is actually for you and for the other members of Maximum Lawyer who have young children. I read about it on Twitter yesterday. I thought it was a great idea. So there's this guy. He has a, a, a zero-year-old, you know, a few-month-old baby, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. And what he did is he created a Gmail address for each of them. And he, and he emails them pictures and stories about what's going on in the family life so that when they grow up and have their email address, they'll have all those emails telling them sort of stories from their past um, that they were too young to appreciate at the time. I thought it was brilliant. I like it. Very good stuff. Great. That's great. Um, Jan, all right. We gave you a little bit of time to think about it. Do you have a 
a tip or a hack for us? Yeah, I, I actually just, I read this in a research article and I've been trying it. So I read in a research article that to help with burnout, instead of looking and taking big vacations, you should be taking like, you know, long, like three day work, like three day vacations, four day work week vacations, that kind of thing. So I've been doing that during the pandemic. Like we went on a short trip recently to the mountains and went hiking and it just made such a big difference because usually we save them up for these big vacations, but now we can't fly. So we've been doing that every month and we went camping, that kind of thing. And so it really does help give you a shift, I think, with your environment. But you're not, when I was a lawyer, I can remember taking long vacations and then just never, it was like you get back and you're going, why did I go on vacation? <laughs> so that's my, that's my tip for the week. That works. It's perfect. And you get back, you're all stressed out. Okay, what do I need to catch up on? Right, exactly. But if it's just the weekend and you just did a short trip or even just going somewhere like driving for the day for a short day trip can be really helpful just to reset things. Um, so last week I talked about, you know, meeting with your bank to go over PPP, your forgiveness applications. Well, I met with my bank the other day and things have changed quite a bit. And so the application actually might completely change too. So my tip, again, it's actually to, to meet with your bank, but it's because things have changed again. So make sure that in case you filled out your application already and you just haven't submitted it, make sure you you talk to them to make sure that your application or the, the actual form has not changed because I've not looked yet, but by the time this episode launches or uh, goes uh, is published, it might have changed. So make sure that you've checked the application and that you're not using the, the old application. Um, Jane, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. You clearly know what you're talking about. Too. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jane. That was great. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.